Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> it's good to be here. Um, I just want to start off saying it's, uh, it's an honor to be back here um, and to give back to everyone who's given so much to me. Um, so thank you for inviting me up here this morning. Um, but before we get started, I have a little exercise that I've asked some of the teens to do. They look anxious and super excited that I've asked them to do this. Um, so you guys can take your places wherever you want to start out um, as I explain what they're going to do. Um, so what they're going to do uh, is I'm going to have them hold their breath, and on one uh, breath of air, they're going to try and greet as many of you as possible, individually, remember, one by one. Um, Hannah was like, I'll just wave at everyone. I was like, no, no, you have to go up to them and actually say hi. Um, and remember, it's on one breath of air, um, and I'm going to count to three, and then they'll start. You guys ready? Interesting strategy I'm seeing here. All right, ready? All right, one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, you can say hello, you can say hi. I'm running out of air just watching. Wow, this is... <laughs> All right, you guys did a good job. Everyone give it up for them. <laughs> What's going on over there? That's good. All right, um, thank you guys for doing that. It'll make sense later, don't worry. Um, did they greet all of you? Did everyone get a little a welcome this morning? It's good, good. If not, welcome. I'm here. I'll say hello. Um, but before I do this, uh, let me pray over this, and then I'll read uh, the text, and we'll jump right in. Um, just bow your heads with me. Uh, God, if you're here with us this morning, uh, give us open hearts, give us open ears, open minds to, to learn about you and who you are. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so Mark 2, um, 27 through 3, 5 says, it's Jesus talking, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. All right, so what's going on with this text? It's kind of weird, kind of obscure. Um, so let me paint a little picture, uh, drop some context. Um, as Ryan mentioned, it's a nice, sunny afternoon. It's the Sabbath. Jesus is walking along through a grain field with some of his disciples. Um, and keep in mind, at this point in his ministry, um, he's pretty well known. I'm reading out of Mark, so Mark likes to jump just straight into it. Um, so he's well known. He's not super popular among the religious elite, among the Pharisees, and they're looking for a reason um, to get him, to get rid of him. So anyway, Jesus is walking along, and uh, someone's stomach grumbles, right? They're a little hungry. He was just talking about fasting in, in chapter 2. Um, Peter denies it was him. It can't be Peter. Um, you know, Thomas is doubt, doubts it could be him. It's not, not going to be Thomas. But they're, they're walking, and, and they, they see these nice, tasty-looking uh, heads of grain. I mean, I can't pass up a nice, tasty head of grain, right? Um, 
So they start picking at him. They start eating him. And the Pharisees are like, we got it. He just broke the Sabbath. They're eating on the Sabbath. We can finally get rid of him lawfully, right? We can't just assassinate him. Um, but then, um, up until this point, we've got to know that this is one of the most strict laws. Sabbath is very, very strict. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And then Jesus responds to them by citing this example of David, right, eating on the Sabbath. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. Um, then we get to verse... 27, and if there's any Pharisees here this morning, I'm, I'm sorry, this is going to offend you, but he says, the Sabbath was made for man. You guys got it backwards. It's supposed to serve you, and you're not supposed to serve the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And up until this point, I've been throwing around um, this idea, this concept, this, this word Sabbath, and you're like, what exactly is that? Um, so thanks to Doug for, for reading Exodus 31, uh, 12 through 17. Where is he? He's over here somewhere. There he is. Sorry, that, that was a lot longer when you started reading. I was like, oh, I should have shortened that down. Um, but so what's going on here, right? So we're dealing with Moses, right? He's, he's a head honcho, um, especially the Pharisees. Uh, God gives this law, all the law, to Moses. And the law is what separates the Israelites from all the other nations. By keeping the law, the Israelites can identify themselves with God. And a fun fact of the day, when it says, the Lord says to Moses, it's, a, it's in all caps, and... Um, that just means it's talking about the divine name. Like, this is the divine Lord talking to Moses and giving him this law, and he's saying this is important. Um, this is what defines you. This is our covenant. This is what sets you as my people, my holy nation. Um, so it's really, really important that they keep this law, that they can identify with God. And they live in a culture and in, in, in a context where all the other gods, these other ancient Near Eastern deities, are gods of, of labor and of death and sacrifice, and they, they hate their creation, and they don't like it. And God says, no, I created everything in six days, and it was good, and I saw that it was good, and I rested, and that was good. They're identifying with a God who values life, who says life is on purpose, and life is something um, that's good, that he created. And then we have to realize we're reading law, right? When we read Scripture, there's a lot of different things in there. There's narrative, there's law, there's poetry, there's uh, apocalypse, or revelation, some cool stuff in there. Um, so when we read this and we see the punishment for breaking Sabbath is death, you're like, wait a minute, I thought you just said God was a God of life. How can that God command death? But when we understand that it's law, um, like personally, I don't know if people were put to death on the Sabbath. Um, I know it's was, it was really hard to accuse someone of that. You need a lot of... Um, witnesses, and all sorts of stuff. But I do know that ancient Jewish law, the, the, the punishment and the severity of the punishment highlights the, important, the importance of that law. So a punishment such as death, which is really, really extreme, just shows how important it is to keep this law. Right? So now let's backtrack. Jesus is over here you know, claiming to be the Son of Man, breaking the Sabbath, breaking these laws, and, and the Pharisees want to get rid of him, and they say, look, punishment for breaking the Sabbath is death. We can finally get rid of him. Um, you see, because they had all this political and, and religious power, and everything was kind of peaceful. They're under Roman occupation, right? They don't want to upset the Romans. They want everything to be um, how it is. And here comes this guy out of Nazarene, and like nothing can, good can come out of Nazarene, right? Nazareth, and, and, and he equates himself with God. And this guy claims to forgive sins. And he's just broken one of the most important laws that was given to Moses. And they've caught him, and they've found this, and they're like, we can finally get rid of this guy. Um, people are starting to flock to him. We want to restore this equilibrium that we have, and everything will be fine. 
And, and it's hard to, to, to point fingers at them and blame them. Um, I mean, if you take a step back, these guys are just trying to protect the law that was given to Moses, something, something holy and something that sets them apart and makes them who they are, that gives them value, that gives them worth. And this guy's just kind of breaking all those laws, right? So what if you, like, what would we do if, if, if someone walked in right now and was like, oh, I can forgive sins. Oh, I'll, I'll break these laws. I don't need to do any of this stuff. We'd be like, this guy's from Nazareth. We've got to get him out of here. Like, we can't have this guy around preaching this, this nonsense. But we have the benefit, you know, of 2,000 years past this and a nicely redacted English translation of all this, and we can go, oh, the Pharisees got it wrong. We can see what happened, right? And they got it wrong because they, they overemphasized the law. They overemphasized the Sabbath and lost the meaning of it. In order to protect this law that sets them apart, they created so many new ones that were just too, too much to keep up with. It was too much to handle. And they've lost the, the, the original meaning of Sabbath, which is to rest. They were so caught up in all these other things that they weren't supposed to do that they forgot to rest. Right? So I'm going to give um, a little example to... to kind of draw this picture of what was happening. So say there's a law. Someone makes a law. It says um, you can't run on a Sunday. I'm a big fan of this. Anyone else? No running on Sundays? Huge fan. Thank you. Yeah, this is good. I like this law. This is good. And they're like, we're, we're doing this. Don't run because you need to rest. You need to recover. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'll, I'll not run all day for that. <laughs> Easy. Sold. But then they're like, hmm, how can we make sure no one runs? How can we make sure... This law is enforced. How about um, you can't wear shoes on Sunday? It's, it's, I mean, whatever. I can deal with that. No shoes. At least I'm not running. This is still good. It's, it's not that bad, right? But then the people who made this law, you know, they hear, about, they hear about Doug running an errand after church to go pick up those eggs that he was supposed to in the morning. And they, wait a minute. You, wait, wait, wait. Running an errand. Okay, there's no running on Sundays. And we, we don't want to be, we don't, it's kind of ambiguous what that means, right? So, yeah, let's just make this rule, um, no running errands on a Sunday, right? Then they hear about uh, someone washing their hands, they turn on the water, now you got running water, and they're like, whoa, 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 we don't want to break this law, right? It's important, no running water even. And you see how this is getting ridiculous, and, and it's so overbearing, and there's so many little tiny rules that you have to keep up with, and you have to focus on the things that you're not doing, and it's distracting you from the whole point of it, which is to rest and recover. My NIV study Bible, as I was writing this, um, it says for verse 27, a little footnote, Jewish tradition had so multiplied the requirements and restrictions for keeping the Sabbath that the burden had become intolerable. Jesus cut across these traditions and emphasized the God-given purpose of the Sabbath, a day intended for the benefit of the people for rest from daily labors, allowing spiritual, mental, and physical restoration. So he says the Sabbath was made for you guys to rest, not to, not to overbear you and become burdensome. It's backwards. You started to serve it by making all these laws surrounding it. Get some water real quick. But we're not the Pharisees, right? We got it all figured out. We're, uh, we're not them. You're like, what are you even talking about? We're here on Sunday. We're resting we're feeling good. <clears throat> but are we? Right? Have we maybe lost the meaning of Sabbath and just diminished it to going to church on a Sunday? In a society and in a culture that, that evaluates us and deems us worthy or not worthy 
based on our performance and our work ethic and how well we do something and, and our gifts and, and, our, and our productivity, to give up a whole day of rest seems burdensome, doesn't it? It seems like I can't give up a whole day. I have work to do. I have, I have a paper to write. I have stuff to do. And you're telling me I have to give all that up? It's become burdensome. But before we get into that idea, um, I'll give you guys a break from, from thinking about all these things. And I got a little story that I hope ties in uh, some of these ideas and this little thing that I had the teens do um, this morning. So I spent New Year's in, in Boulder, uh, Colorado. My flight there was really, really early in the morning. Um, I think it was like 2.30 a.m. or 3.30. So thank you, Nathan, for driving me there. Um, anyway, I get to Oakland, you know, check my bag, find my gate, get seated. I'm situated. Um, and once I'm up, I'm up, so there's no point in sleeping. So my plan was to, to, to just read the whole time in this flight. So fortunately for me, not only did I have a baby in front of me crying, but also one behind me crying, so I was guaranteed to stay up. And uh, those parents could, could use some rest, I feel like. Um, and anyways, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to uh, the little emergency briefings that the flight attendants do, um, just because... I know it's good to be prepared in an emergency. Uh, it's a Boy Scout, be prepared, right? Um, and I'm listening, and, and one of these little things stood out to me, and I'm going to have to blame Jacob for this because he ingrained encounters into me when I was in, in youth group, which is, anyone, anyone know what an encounter is? Someone's raising their hand back there. I think it's Alana. Now she's trying to hide behind Jacob. <laughs> I see you back there. An encounter is a physical experience with a spiritual meaning. So you do something just any ordinary act, and you try to find a deeper spiritual significance. Um, and so now, everything I do, I'm just like, oh, there's something that can be said about all this stuff. Anyways, the part that stood out to me that morning was when the little mask comes out of the ceiling, right? They say if the cabin loses pressure, this little mask will pop out, and you're supposed to put your mask on before you help others. That's just a pretty simple idea, but I was thinking about it, and I was like, that's weird. That seems counterintuitive to me. Um, to, to help yourself before you help someone else. Um, I don't know if that's, well, I mean, it's probably how I was raised, but it, it, there's like a deeper Christian um, significance, right? In, in Philippians, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not just to your own interests, or not even to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's always about putting others before yourself. And so I'm overthinking, um, sitting there at like 3 a.m., like, oh, this is weird. This, why would you do that? And I'm overthinking this little mask, and, and I'm realizing you're not being selfish by doing that. You're just making yourself an effective helper of others, right? So theoretically, in this situation, there's no air. And how many people can you help on one breath of air? How many people, I mean, I guess I agree to everyone, but... <laughs> But could you make it out the door into the parking lot, right, on one breath of air? Could you go downtown? Could you make it down the street without oxygen, right? You need, that, you need that mask. You need to be connected to that airflow. And I hope you see that I'm using this, this metaphor as, as being connected to God. How do you connect yourself to God? How can you be an effective Christian without being connected to God and breathing in the life that he gives? How can you go and make disciples, right, on one breath of air? You, you, you can't do it. You need to attach yourself to that source of all life. And you're asking now, like, oh, how do you do that? And you're, oh, probably the Sabbath. Where's he going with this? He talked about the Sabbath a lot. Now he's talking about this. 
The answer is you're right. It is the Sabbath. God gives us this way for us to connect to him and breathe in that life that he offers so that we can go boldly into the world and proclaim the gospel, that we can be an effective Christian. Right? It's a way for God. Sabbath is a way for God to act in us. It's, it's not about what we're not doing. It's not about the things that we're giving up so that we can serve the Sabbath because then we're serving the Sabbath. No, it's meant for us. It's about what God is doing in us on the Sabbath, not what we're not doing. Amen. And I want to I point this out by, by going back to the text this morning. So we have the idea that Jesus says, no, 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 the Sabbath is made for you guys. It's made for you. right?" And then um, you jump forward to, to Mark 3, 1 through 5, and what's happening is Jesus is in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath once again, right? The Pharisees um, are looking for another reason to get rid of him, and he's standing there, um, and they're waiting for him to heal this guy with a shriveled hand. And um, he does. He says, come here, stick out your hand. And he, and he restores it, and he heals it, right? And they're mad because he's healing on the Sabbath, but, um, but what exactly is going on here, right? And it's interesting, um, in the translation, right, it says they're waiting for him to heal this man. But when he does, it doesn't use the word heal, it says restored, right? And that's because the Greek is different there. When they're waiting for him to heal, the word used there is therapeuo in Greek, and that's where we get words like therapy, therapeutic, and defined by Google, that is, treatment intended to heal or relieve a disorder, Right? But then when he does, when he does heal this person, the word there is apocathistomy. And that's related to restoration, bringing about something new. There's a new life about this. It's not just healed, it's restored. It's made new again. It has new life. So on the Sabbath, it's set apart because God wants to give us new life on the Sabbath. Right? It's about what he is doing in us, not about what we are not doing. And so I think we do feel burdened by the Sabbath sometimes, or, the, or this command for the Sabbath. We've lost the meaning, and we focused on us once again, just like the Pharisees. Like, oh, I can't, after church, I have to write this paper. I have these errands to do. I have, I have stuff to do all the week, and, and these stresses and these worries and anxieties about the things that we're not doing build up, and we lose focus on what God is doing in us. Right? So it's important that we can give up those things and give them to God, and he says, stretch those out. Give those to me. I'll restore them. I'll bring new life in you. And, and I don't want you to hear me this morning um, devalue hard work. Right? I'm not just saying every day should be Sabbath. I like that. You know, like, I'll just do nothing all week. Um, no, I think hard work's important. I think you can honor God by using talents and gifts that he's given to you. And I want to show you how, how God can both affirm hard work, even ordained work, and simultaneously demonstrate the value of resting in him. And to do so, we got to jump back um, over to Exodus, right, when God gives this instruction in Exodus 31. But before that, I mean, he gives it in the Ten Commandments, right, Exodus 20. And then there's some narrative, some things happen. God affirms the covenant with his people, um, which brings us to Exodus 25. And then for five chapters, from Exodus 25 through 31:11, God gives these instructions on building the tabernacle, on building the ark, on building the table, on building where God will dwell among his people. And if you think your work is important, um, that, that work's important, building where God will dwell, where he will be. That, that's, that's hard work. And not only does he do that, but he, he chooses these skilled craftsmen, right? People who have these certain talents and these certain gifts, and he says, you're really good at that. I want you to do it. 
So God's affirming. He's saying, hard work is good. And if you're good at something, I want you to do it and do it well, right? And it's this important thing that they're building. But then he says in Exodus 31, 12 through 18, he says, work for six days, but on the seventh rest. Because I worked for six days, and on the seventh I rested. He says you can't expedite holy work at the expense of forgetting who you're working for. Right? And I want to make the case that, that, that resting in God isn't just going to church. I mean, go to church. Please hear me say that. But it's not, it's not just resting from things. It's not just going to church and then having a lazy Sunday afternoon. It's an active rest. You seek Him out, right? It, it's sticking out those shriveled hands and those dead parts of us to Him and allowing Him to restore them. It's not, it's not about the, the things that we're not doing, right? It's about the things that He is doing. He says, give me those concerns. Give me those plans that you're trying to make. Give me those things that you're, that you're working on. Let me, let me breathe new life into those on this day. Let me breathe new life into you. That dead part of you that you've been holding on to so long with a shriveled hand, He says, give that to me. I'll restore that. Right? And, and how much easier is it, how much more effective can we be as a Christian carrying out you know, the Great Commission to go into the nation and baptize people, if you have the breath of life of God in you, if you're breathing Him in continuously, giving up those dead parts of you, you start to see the life in others. You start to see how God, the manifestation of Him in, in everyone, and it becomes so much easier, right? You're running out of air by, by not allowing yourself to let God work through you and breathe new life in you. Right? And I want to invite the praise team up here um, as I make this kind of final point, that a world that identifies us with and gives us worth and value through our work and our productivity and our appearance of busyness and our results, God calls us to rest. He demands that we set apart, that we make holy a day just for Him, that He can restore us, that He can give us value, that He can show you your worth and your value comes through me, the God who created everything, who said life is on purpose and life is good. He says, I want you to see that. He knows we try so hard sometimes to give life and to work hard at the expense of ourselves. And he says, my child, you've done good work. You've worked hard. You've baptized people. You've made disciples. You've used gifts that I've given to you. But I'm asking you to rest. Let me restore you. Let me bring new life into those dead parts of you. He says, come to me, you who are weary, you who are burdened. I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke. Learn from me. He says, Come to me. You will find rest for your souls.